Welcome to the Biblical Plotlines podcast, where we explore the story of Scripture. And from beginning to end, the Bible tells the incredible story of God's redemption throughout history that has culminated in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And as each of the 66 books of the Bible contributes to that larger story, we also see that each individual book has its own unique story to tell. And this is developed by a plot line. And this plot weaves its way throughout the stories of a book in order for us to understand the message that each book wants to tell us about God's redemption in the world. I'm your host, Chris King, and in this episode, I'm finishing my conversation with Desmond Alexander on the book of Genesis, where we look at the royal calling of mankind and the temple garden of God's dwelling place in the beginning of Genesis, and so much more. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, sit down, and enjoy the ride. Well, I think it's so helpful to consider this concept of the seed or the offspring running throughout the book of Genesis that we firstly saw given as a promise to Eve and then continues through the descendants of Abraham because it really helps make sense of the meaning behind the stories that we read in the book of Genesis, like why some stories focus on certain families or certain children within a family and maybe even the events surrounding their birth or even why stories like Joseph suddenly jump to the story of Judah and his offspring and then jumps back to the story of Joseph, which may seem kind of random, but when we understand that Genesis is following the offspring then everything just comes together and makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, uh, it's it's worth observing that as you begin to work your way through the book of Genesis, and particularly as you move towards the end of the book, uh, you, you get this uh, strong association being made between the firstborn and the concept of blessing. Mm. Uh, so you, you may recall how uh, Jacob ends up coming to his father pretending that he's Esau mm. in order to receive the blessing of the firstborn. Right. And so and this this connection is made that the one who is thought of as the firstborn is going to be the one who will mediate blessing to others. Uh, in the Joseph story, uh, it becomes reasonably evident right at the very beginning of it that Joseph is being treated as the one who is the firstborn. Mm. Uh, and, and interestingly, elsewhere in Scripture, in, in um, uh, second, uh, First Chronicles 5, mm. uh, you have this idea that although uh, Reuben was the one who was born first, right. as far as Jacob's sons uh, was concerned, um, uh, Joseph is the one who receives the status of firstborn. Mm. And uh, that's perhaps reflected in the special cloak that his father gives him. Okay. Uh, uh, you get it reinforced towards the end of Genesis whenever Joseph brings his two sons, yes. uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, mm. uh, to Jacob in order for Jacob to bless them. And Jacob does something rather strange at that point because he crosses over his hands Yes. And he ends up giving the blessing of the firstborn to the younger of the two boys, to Ephraim. Okay. 
And uh, here, here again, the alert reader will pick up that there's something significant in all of this. Mm. And as you've traced the story going forward, uh, the tribe of Ephraim has a very special role to play. Uh, later, it will be Joshua, an Ephraimite, right. who, yes. who leads the, the children of Israel into the promised land. Mm. Uh, so, so picking up on the theme of firstborn and uh, the idea of blessing is, is really important and, and seeing how they're connected. Uh, if you bear that in mind, mm-hmm. then uh, as you read the Joseph story, it's suddenly interrupted in chapter 38 by a reference, a rather bizarre chapter, uh, a chapter that perhaps a lot of people would prefer not to have yes. there. But it's not it, in our children's books. It's not. They? It's yeah. not going to be in the children's books. Yeah. No, um, it, but it's. But it's a chapter that focuses on Judah, and in particular upon his firstborn. Mm. Uh, and you end up discovering that his firstborn son heir uh, is wicked, mm. uh, and is killed, um, and and as the story progresses, uh, it leads to a, a rather uh, bizarre episode in which uh, heir's wife uh, or, or widow uh, Tamar uh, dresses up as a prostitute yes. uh, and has a relationship with Judah mm. uh, that leads to the birth of twins mm. and uh, significantly when the twins are born uh, the midwife um, wants to be able to identify uh, which of the boys or wh- which of the children being born will be the firstborn so she ties a scarlet thread on the hand that first appears Uh, but at that point the other brother uh, breaks out at at birth right uh, and he's he ends up being called Perez right and significantly Perez then is going to be the the one who will be the ancestor of the Davidic dynasty Uh, Mm. you, you you get this connection made at the end of the book of Ruth. Okay. Uh, so this this chapter that focuses on Judah mm. and his offspring, his firstborn, leads you to Perez and eventually leads on to the, the royal line of David. Okay. How do we see this theme uh, of the royal line developed in the blessings at the end of Genesis uh, when Jacob blesses his children It's really worth noting that in the blessings that Jacob gives to all of his sons when he brings them around on his deathbed, uh, he he sets apart two of the sons to enjoy a much better blessing than all the others. And the first to be mentioned is Judah. Okay. And uh, Jacob speaks in terms of... uh, Judah ruling over his brothers. There, there's this expectation of royalty okay. being associated with Judah, which will eventually find its fulfillment uh, through King David and the and the Davidic dynasty. Okay, uh, but he also interestingly associates blessing with Joseph. Okay, and and you have this sense that uh, uh, the the line of Joseph uh, traced particularly through Ephraim, Mm -hmm. uh, may also be a source of blessing uh, in the future. Uh, And as you you follow through the rest of the biblical story, 
it seems initially that uh, royalty will come through the tribe of Ephraim. Okay. Uh, you have to wait until the time of Samuel, mm. however, to discover that God at that point rejects the Ephraimites because of their sinfulness mm. and ends up choosing uh, David from the tribe of Judah right. and establishing a dynasty, uh, a royal dynasty with David. Mm. So there's a, a there's a complexity to to the biblical story at this point. Yeah, and that's so helpful to consider. It almost leaves us in suspense when we're tracing the line of descendants because uh, we're left to wonder who is it going to be, uh, the line of Joseph or the line of Judah? And then we see the rejection of the Ephraimites, and then we see this promise continue through Judah as it comes to David. It It, it is important to appreciate that there's a sense in which God, although he uh, com- is committed to uh, fulfilling his promises uh, through Abraham and through one of Abraham's descendants, uh, th- there's a sense in which uh, there is a, an element of fluidity to this okay. in that uh, God is not going to just work through anyone. Right. And, and so those who end up being part of this royal lineage mm. have to in some way reflect something of the nature of the, the future Messiah. Okay. So you encounter Joseph as being someone who, who's, an, who's an individual of integrity. Right. Uh, when Potiphar's wife uh, looks to uh, have him sleep with her, mm. uh, Joseph refuses. Uh, and uh, so there's a sense in which the, the individuals uh, reflect something of the, the positive qualities that should be there in the one who will overcome the serpent. Right. And when those aren't found, they're rejected and it goes on, passes on to someone else, doesn't yes, it? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. And, and you see, as you, as, as you read through, for example, the book of Judges, you, you discover that the Ephraimites, although they were meant to take the lead, yeah. are, are actually becoming more and more corrupt. Okay. And uh, the, towards the end of uh, Judges in particular, you, you see something of how that corruption has permeated the Ephraimites. Right. Now, going back to the beginning of the book of Genesis, can you tell us about the significance of the Garden of Eden and the role of mankind within the Garden? Uh, there, there are always lots of interesting connections in, in, in all of this. So it, it maybe helps to begin with uh, Genesis 1, okay. where you have this idea that uh, human beings are commissioned by God uh, to rule over other creatures. Um, to to exercise God's authority okay. over the earth. Now, God initially gives that authority to a, a one couple, Adam and Eve, right? And and they are meant to rule on God's behalf all other creatures. Okay. Uh, significantly, in Genesis three, uh, a serpent comes along. A creature right. comes along and challenges and, and uh, tempts Adam and Eve to actually betray God. Right. And uh, 
they are encouraged to listen to the creature mm. rather than the creator. And uh, so they, they end up betraying God. God had told them, you've got to rule over other creatures, mm. but they don't rule over the serpent. Right. And uh, that has a very significant consequence in terms of uh, human beings and their relationship to the earth and their okay. relationship to God. So the, uh, the, the human couple, because they've obeyed the serpent, can no longer uh, rule over the earth right. on, on God's behalf. They've, they've betrayed God. They've let him down. Right. Uh, it, it means that authority to rule over the earth has now been given to the serpent. Okay. And so the serpent controls all that happens on earth. Okay. Uh, uh, you, you actually see this picked up much later when you come to the New Testament and when mm. you think about how Satan comes in order to tempt Jesus. Right. And one of the things that he offers Jesus uh, is the kingdoms of this earth. Okay. Uh, because Satan controls the earth. He's the prince mm. of this world. And... Uh, Jesus, in actual fact, comes in order to undermine and destroy uh, Satan's kingdom okay. and to establish the kingdom of God. Right. Uh, but the beginning of that, uh, to understand why Jesus comes to do this, yeah. you have to go back to Genesis 3 and, and understand that human beings were meant to rule over the earth, but they failed to do so, and they come under the control of the evil one. Right. So we could almost see Adam and Eve as kingly figures, would you say? Yes. They, they, they were given uh, royal authority. Right. And there's a sense in which by, uh, they, by, by obeying the serpent, they, uh, they throw away the royal authority that was given to them. Right. Uh, interestingly, the, the serpent uh, comes through, uh, sort of approaches Eve Yes. Uh, and then you've got this, uh, I, I suppose, uh, uh, statement on the part of God that it's going to be the offspring of the woman right. who will overcome the serpent. Okay. And the offspring of the woman is going to have royal authority. Right. Uh, and in a sense become uh, a new Adam. Right. So in Christian theology, uh, we think of Jesus Christ as being the second Adam. Yeah. Uh, he comes to do what Adam, the first Adam, failed to do. Uh, and in part, that is to rule over the creatures and to establish the kingdom of God on, on this earth. Right. And how do we see uh, their not only royal uh, authority and position, but also maybe priestly position within the garden? It's very evident uh, when you read Genesis 2, that Adam and Eve enjoyed a very close, harmonious relationship with God. Uh, the text talks about God coming and walking in the garden mm. uh, with the human couple. Right. Uh, once they've disobeyed, uh, we discover that there's a, uh, a distance is created. Okay. They hide from God. Mm. And uh, they end up being expelled from the garden as part of their punishment. They can no longer have access to the tree of life. Right. And uh, they are exiled out of Eden. Mm. And that's significant because uh, 
it means that their relationship, their close relationship with God no longer exists. They've, in a sense, lost the the priestly status that they had that right. allowed them to come into God's presence. Mm. And part of the biblical story is, or a, a major part of the biblical story, is about the restoration of that harmonious relationship between God and human beings. Right. And that develops through the building of the tabernacle the temple how how is that seen as almost a almost looking back at eden the tabernacle the temple and also looking forward to something greater than what was in eden okay uh, one, one of the things about the opening chapters of genesis uh, is this that uh, the earth uh, has been created by god in order to become his dwelling place right uh, he, he's going to dwell on the earth with human beings. Mm. Um, unfortunately, Adam and Eve's disobedience uh, prevents that from happening immediately. And so as you trace the biblical story, you, you discover that uh, God by stages comes to dwell upon the earth. Okay. So you've got to wait until uh, the Israelites come out of Egypt. They've been released by God out of Egypt. They're brought to Mount Sinai, and then God enters into a special covenant relationship with them. Right. And uh, they are to become a royal priesthood, Okay. which is picking up on the idea that Adam and Eve were meant to be royalty and priestly. Right, okay. Um, uh, you get this idea that God comes to dwell among the Israelites, mm. and... Uh, it's not uh, a total restoration of the relationship that existed in Eden, mm. but it anticipates something much better that's, to going to, that's going to come in the future. So there's a sense in which the tabernacle that's made by the Israelites is understood by them to be a, a microcosm, a, a, a model of the earth. Right. And uh, as God's presence comes and fills the tabernacle, uh, that's anticipating a day in the future when his presence will fill the earth. Okay. And so the, the ongoing biblical story is very much about how God will ultimately uh, come and dwell on the earth uh, with his people. Okay. Uh, you, you've got to wait until... You, you get to the end of Revelation right. to, to see that fulfilled, uh, something that we still anticipate yeah. happening. But the, the biblical story uh, points us forward to it. Well, that is the end of my conversation with Desmond Alexander on the book of Genesis. And coming back to the topic of mankind's royal calling that we were speaking about, we see Adam and Eve as this picture of God's royal kings on earth as they're given the title in Genesis 1.27 of bearing the image of God because they share the qualities and the characteristics of who God is. Therefore, they represent God in the world. But the purpose of being God's image bearers, it comes in the following verse in Genesis 1.28, which is to have dominion over God's creation. So humanity has been given a delegated authority over the world, 
And mankind was given the task of reigning as kings on God's behalf in creation. We were to represent God's rule over creation with our lives. But obviously mankind fails at this because we wanted to rule apart from God by deciding for ourselves what is good and evil without God. So by eating from the tree of good and evil, humanity decides what is the right and wrong way of ruling over the world apart from God's ways. And so throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we see the preparations for someone who God is going to send to rescue and restore mankind from their fallenness into sin. And they are always represented as a king. Because the restoration of humanity means that we will be the royal kings over creation once again. And so David really becomes this primary figure to represent this coming king. Because he is a king after God's own heart. Meaning that he is finally a human who wants to rule and reign over creation in a way that God desires for him to rule. David wants to be that true image bearer of God and represent God's ruling authority in the world. We especially see this in the Psalms where he becomes this type of the Messiah that's to come. And he speaks on behalf of the Messiah. And of course, David fails at being the human who represents God because of his own fallenness along with the rest of humanity. But he still maintains that portrait of what the traits are going to be of God's real king, that will come one day. And so when we see Jesus in the Gospels, Jesus comes declaring the kingdom of God. He's given the title of the Christ, meaning the anointed Messiah or God's chosen king. And his primary goal is to declare and establish the coming of the kingdom of God. And kingship really defines the purpose of his ministry that we see in the Gospels. We continually see Jesus using his authority as God's chosen king by calming the wind and the storms and healing the sick and raising the dead. And he's doing these things with the authority from God as the true human who rules over creation and is restoring the corruption from sin in order to be brought back into harmony and right relationship with God. And even casting out demons we see that Satan plays a, a prime enemy to Jesus because Satan is trying to retain his rule over the earth that was only given to him by mankind in the garden. So Jesus comes to restore God's rule that was given to mankind, just as Adam should have cast out the serpent in the garden because of his God-given authority over the animals. Instead, he lets the serpent take authority over him. But now Jesus comes to take back that authority and cast out the serpent, since he is the true human who finally rules as the true image bearer of God. So the healing, the exorcisms, the other miracles, they show him having authority as humans were meant to have, which is to rule over creation on God's behalf. And that's what we see happening in the Gospels. And of course, Jesus is also represented as being able to do these things because he's more than just another human, but Jesus is actually the, the full image of God, being God having come in the flesh. And for us, we see in Paul's letters that those who are now in Christ are being restored back to be that true image bearer of God as we were meant to be. 
as sin makes us less than human because we're not in proper relationship with our creator in order to rightly bear his image. So Jesus, he deals with the problem of sin in his death and in his resurrection so that we can be brought back into right relationship to God in order to live out our intended calling of bringing God's rule and reign through our lives. That is the calling that we see given to mankind in Genesis 1 and 2, and that is what we see as what Christ is accomplishing in his work of salvation. This is what Paul speaks about in Colossians 3.10, where we are now incorporated into Christ. We are in Christ so that we can be a new human. He says to put on your new humanity, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of God who created him. So we're being remade to be God's image bearers. And also we see in Romans when Paul uses the word glory, it seems he has this in mind because he's drawing from Psalm 8 where it says that God has crowned mankind with glory and honor in order to have dominion over creation. So it's saying that that God has made mankind the kings to rule over the world on God's behalf. And that's why Paul says that all have now fallen short of that glory of God. Because of our sin, we have not properly exercised our authority in the world in a way that rightly represents the way that God rules as true image bearers. But then in Romans, Paul goes on to say that in Christ, we are now being glorified. We're being brought back to that state of glory where we will be the true humans that we were created to be, who reflects the image of what God looks like. So understanding the book of Genesis, especially those beginning chapters where we see the role of mankind in creation, it gives us a better understanding of the meaning of the incarnation of Jesus as the second Adam, and also to see what Jesus is doing as God come as a human which is to restore humanity to its rightful place of bearing his image so that we can live out the rule and reign of God through our lives and into the world around us. Well, that's all for this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and come back again as we make our way through each of the books of the Bible to look at the different plot lines of each book. And if you've had a good time listening to this podcast, please give us a like, subscribe, and share with other people that you know. And for more information on our guest, Desmond Alexander, and his books on these topics, visit our website, biblicalplotlines.com. The theme music for this podcast was provided by Josh Mahood. And thank you all for joining us. And until next time, keep reading your Bibles.